0: But all of a sudden, when everyone's gone, you're the one looking for gear in a carpet at 6am and no drug dealer's answering his phone. And you're still back where you started. And there's nothing that's gonna happen apart from you ODing. And there's a few times where I got really, really close to, to, to ODing. And for me, it was, it was just, this is a perpetual nightmare.
1: Hi and welcome to Feeling Yourself, the podcast that encourages you to shed your shame. I'm Natalie Lee and like most of us, shame has followed me around for most of my life. Now I'm on a journey to sexual freedom and I want you to join me. Each week I'll be speaking to you and some incredible guests about the themes in my book Feeling Myself. From masturbation to motherhood, from trauma to porn... I want us to dig deep and find our true voice in a world that shames us and that certainly doesn't make our pleasure a priority. Now let's release the shame and get you feeling yourself. Hello. And welcome to Feeling Yourself. Goldie, thank you so much for coming on. I know that you're not really doing interviews at the moment, so I feel very honoured. Uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I managed to pull a few strings because we have met before a few times, so I basically, yes. yeah, twisted your arm and made you come on. I don't do it. them,
0: basically, unless they yeah, <laughs> I don't really do them unless they're really going to be good.
1: Well, I am honoured. Now, let me just introduce you. I'm going to introduce shoot and then you see how you think i making one
0: sentence
1: (laughs) (laughs) a father husband author artist creative genius godfather of d&b dj music producer actor comedian yogi spiritualist bloody hell you are a lot of things but how would you how would you describe yourself or how would you like to be remembered Oh, God.
0: I'd um, like <laughs> to be remembered. Um, well, I've, I've always been a bit of an alchemist, a child alchemist at that, really. I think life works in reverse for me. Uh, it's good when you, you get to realize that you know very little about life. And meaning that, you know, I guess purposefully, as, as the child that's learning all of the time, you know, what do you leave um, in all of it? And, and all my heroes are dead. <laughs> so I, I kind of realised that that all of this is, is irrelevant. I understand there's only a certain amount of time, and I've always realised that. So I try and do as much physical work, canvas work, or objects that my child will, in a house that my child will grow up in. There's a, there's a really good analogy. I'm getting these great analogies later on in my life. Where I guess my life, if I was just to look at my life, in if in you in in explain to any of your listeners. My life is like 12 characters at a table, but there's only 11 presents. And the chair at the top of the table is empty because there's the child underneath the table with his hands over his ears screaming, will you please be fucking quiet? Because all of these different versions of me are arguing amongst themselves. The ego, the the the, the man, the, 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 the angry child, uh, the artist who wants space to paint. You know, there's all of these characters of mine. Um... The addict. Uh, and they're all arguing amongst each other for equal space in the life of this shell of a person if you like but then ultimately the child now has a seat at the top of the table mm. and they all have to be quiet while the child speaks
1: yeah. and that's
0: really that's kind of my 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 kind of it's my own mantra of how i look at that and before the child was hidden behind me and I would often tell the child to be very quiet and my anger would make him shut up. Or he'd be scared to talk to me. So I kind of walk with the child now, if you like. I am that child and I've always been... I think even, I think even in, my, in one of my passports, I think I've got them to do it. He it says, uh, career, What is it? It says it, what your job is, It's a professional child. <laughs> 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 because that's what, that, that's what I am. I'm a professional
1: child. I um, like that.
0: But yeah, there's, there's lots of different versions of me, but this is the best version of myself I could possibly be today. Um, to answer the question, <laughs> whatever reason it may be, I'm really glad to be in this place where I get to remember some kind of fractures of who I might have been. Um, was that a good enough introduction for you? That,
1: that was great. I love how deep and the tangents you went on and talking about the universe and our existential existence and bloody hell. I mean, you, your mind. It's
0: not everyone's cup of tea at least, not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> your, me.
1: your mind works in such a different way. It's such a, it's it's just so wonderful to hear you speak and to speak to you actually. It's just, I love the analogies. I love hearing how you see things and it sounds like you've obviously come on a really big journey and you know watching your children grow and marriage and I know Mika has been a big part of your evolvement and healing so it's just really really interesting hearing this but Listen, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because uh, of my book, Feeling Myself, which you have read.
0: I have read, actually. And I don't read. I do not read many books. <laughs> um, and I felt I felt that the way that it reads is in a layman's terms. And there's a lot of books that are very complex. Yeah. I'm not that I, I, even though I'm like I, I, the dialogue comes across very complex. But I thought that the book read really well. And I think that sexuality, from my perspective, you know, I, was, I had a lot of child abuse, an awful lot of child abuse. Um, and my anger as a young man... We've really spilt into my adult life like you would not believe. Mm. I mean, until I'd done the Hoffman process, which is my own, I felt that the Hoffman suited me. It's not everyone's thing. Got a very high divorce rate, which is why I got divorced immediately. <laughs> you know, I married my mother.
1: What's the Hoffman process? Well,
0: the Hoffman process is a, is a, it's a little bit like the old model of 12-step.
1: Pilots. Oh, Okay
0: rehabilitation that works well for people that were born in this in the the, people that lived in the 70s born in the 40s it's of no use to me in the modern era for me and i think that the model had to change and i felt that the hoffman as a model really worked because you know rehab was like you know for me it was like let's take everything out let's take everything out of the box let's take everything out of this this package let's take everything out and then we've got an empty thing, and everyone goes, oh, "It was empty." I want to know how it was made, how this fabric was sewn together. I can take things out of the box all the time, but I want to know how the box was made. So the Hoffman goes and deals with the it deals with the empathy you have to look at from your mother's point of view. I only saw my mother as a, a a kind of. But looking mm-hmm. up at her as a grown woman who was an alcoholic or crazy and she'd have different men all the time. But I never saw her as a nine year old. Mm. Mm. I never saw her as a woman, the girl who was trying to have a family for, for singing in a pub or for falling in love with a, a man of darkened skin. So the Hoffman's different.
1: Was your, your mum white then? Was your mum white and then your dad's dad? My mum is
0: white. She's from yeah. Scotland. My mum is, yeah, my mum's from Scotland. So if you don't, do dog don't know me. My mother's from Glasgow. Mm -hmm. she was born in the Gorbals she ran away to Leeds to sing in a pub she met my father who was working at Ford and he went working in a Ford foundry. and he later went to London and she followed him and then he threw her out and beat her or whatever else it was and she ran off and she couldn't go back because she was seeing a man of dark skin Mm. Um, so so and I was never with my mother so I had a very difficult time understanding women how could i be so betrayed by the woman that bore me so i my main issue for the orphan was abandonment my issues of abandonment are like a tsunami and that led to you know drugs alcoholism it also led to an early kind of fame by going to new york and being a graffiti writer and just dis- not destroying but covering my environments, they would see as destroying and creating this moral character i became Goldilocks, because I had locks then. And then I chopped the locks and it became goldy. And then I'm like, shit, now I need some gold. So I then went to Miami. And people think it's because I've got gold teeth. No, I got the gold much later. Oh. And I, you know, I went to Miami and I started creating with a guy from New York, airbrushing t-shirts and making gold teeth. And I learned the craft of gold teeth because he was always fucking late. So I'd have to learn, I already knew how to take impressions of people's teeth and I, I had to learn how to pull cement and learn how to file and learn how to make. So I learned the craft of making this. I was very always good with my hands. So I just saw it as another art form. I then stayed, you know, in, in New York and Miami and I went to Miami to meet my father and I was... You know, I was 23, 21 at the time. And it was a very numbing experience meeting your father because you know that you look like him. I only knew that I looked like him because of my mother's picture on the mantelpiece, the only picture that I saw of him. You know, I'm like, I'm going to be bald like this fella. Jesus Christ, (laughs) I don't like that. I'm going to be bald. (laughs) I'm definitely going to be bald. But I knew, you know, these strong price features. The point I'm making is that this numb feeling of me and my father, like nothing had happened. Of course, from a kind of island man, it was all my mother's fault. And of course, from my mother, it was all of his fault, which led to a, quite a groundbreaking documentary um, called Saturn's Return, um, which is smoking dog films. And if anyone hasn't seen it, yeah. uh, advise, I'd advise you to get Kleenex. Yeah. Um, it's an hour long documentary, and it was all about making the baking of an hour long composition. On my second album, I'd made Timeless and become globally famous. You did. And then decided, (laughs) which the record company did not like, I'm going to about turn and I'm going to, even at the peak of my drug addiction, the child finally came out and said, and whispered in my ear, this is, this is, please don't go there. I I can't take it anymore. You're going to die. And I made Mother, which of course just blew... Minds They just didn't get it. Um, and weirdly enough, even whilst I'm doing this, it seems like, you know, there are various people now wanting Mother to be a opera-slash-performance-slash-theatrical piece at the Festival Hall, um, which would be, for me, a visual representation of what Mother is, as opposed to an oral version. Mm. Um, Mother is not an easy piece to listen to. It's an hour long, and nothing happens for 14 minutes because you're just hearing infinity, and gas, air, and water, the creation of a molecule that which ends up in my mother's belly and becomes conceptual and conceived. And then I am born into a belly of nine months of trauma and then born and ripped away and then spends the first year, two years, three years in this kind of beautiful symphonic place and then it's torn apart into this very, very angry d kind of thing. You know, for the people that were on the side of D&B, like, what is this? We don't understand it. Yeah. You can't confuse it. So my art is to define and defy both worlds. But going back to the point, what your book really refers to is
1: – well. I wanted to read uh, a little bit of my book if I can. Go ahead. Right, so because this episode is about trauma, this is from my trauma chapter. What I didn't realize at the time was that I wasn't alone in carrying around this burden of trauma. Most of us have something painful that eats away at us and rears its head when we least expect it. Often it can manifest in the way we react to situations when we struggle to trust, when we're being irrational, when we completely shut down and disconnect from our emotions. According to mental health charity Mind, emotional and psychological trauma can refer to the events that leave marks on us, but it can also refer to how we're affected by our experiences. Everyone processes trauma differently. One person can be deeply traumatized by an event that would pass another by and vice versa. Trauma is incredibly complicated, which makes it so hard to understand. I now know that I was experiencing something like post-traumatic stress, an affliction I had only ever associated with veterans returning from war but actually it's common and normal and even an adaptive response to experiences after a traumatic event. So my question is, you've touched on your abandonment issues, you've touched on abuse in presuming care. How did those manifest for you?
0: Well, there's, there's two things that you're pointing out, which are bang on, on the on the nail as I say. And a friend said this to me, which really resonates to me if you're walking around with a hammer, all you see, or I'm gonna see, are nails. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, that's a great one. So,
0: the idea that you know, sexual abuse from adults where you can't see their faces and you can't remember their faces for me was a lot because it wasn't just one, it was a few. You know, and and so my adult life be becoming this Goldie character, all this money and the cars and everything else, I would still be very violent at any point to any anyone of authority, because these are people that you're placing in their care. Mm. And they're supposed to look after us. So then there's that aspect. But I had the triple, I, I had foster sisters who were older, where I'm seven and they're eighteen. And then it becomes even more twisted, you know. And, and so, and then when you're in an environment of young people that you're your age, exploring your sexuality is one thing, which all children do. But then it just becomes this thing. And of course, you then take that and put it into an older version of me, which has all of this money. You have no respect for women. Yeah. You, want to, you want to work them out and destroy them. So any women that were that were that were in the world of celebrity, you would want to make sure that you quit everything first. That you were the one that was just like "fuck you," I've got what I want, I'm out. You would just quickly destroy any sense of longevity. But you see, the lamenting is always there, and you realise that the the, the 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 abuse and everything else, and and of course in men, you know, I would really be violent towards men because. I could have just, there's nothing wrong with being, but I was really homophobic. Yeah. And, you know, I could have just ended up just being a gay person, which is not, nothing wrong with that. If my kids turn around same I'm great, I'm all for it. But I was kind of like being brought up in the environment that I was in, being mixed race in my, it was all about being men. And I'm like, so, so even though I had, I was torn between on a personal level, I'm a really effeminate person. Like, really effeminate um, but I'm a man <laughs> you know I'm a boy that became the man and that's just my route so you know whereas you know you, I was the guys we'd done the estate when I moved to the estate at the age of 18 you know a bunch of us would follow old people around to mug and I just couldn't do it I just felt I had a bad odd feel about it and of course I'm a posse I'm this I'm that so I just the, the, the arts was obvious for me because I was, I was always—I only had my hands. So all of this stuff pushed me into chasing the arts and be, being within the arts. Because I felt this massive sense of relief that I was never going to be that. I was—I wasn't cut out to the life of crime. I was—I did some bad stuff, but my conscious, my 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 higher conscious was like, "This is just wrong." And then. The, the drugs all of this what happens with becoming this fame all of this stuff you have this superficial layer but all of a sudden when everyone's gone you're the one looking for gear in a carpet at 6am and no drug dealer is answering his phone and you're still back where you started and there's nothing that's going to happen apart from your ODing and there's a few times where I got really really close to, to, to ODing and blacking out a lot in a lot of different places, and for me, it was, it was just, this is just a perpetual nightmare. And, you know, as an artist, every every woman I saw was just, that would be, it would be an abusive situation. Yeah. So you have to uncouple all of that, and I think the Hoffman was the only thing that uncoupled all of that for me, where it takes a long time to recover from the Hoffman. Because you're like, if you take your skin off, someone could light a matter near the side of the room, and you'd burn. Um, so there's a, very, there's a danger between yes. coming out of the Hoffman and falling, and falling even further in uh, or, or recovering, feeling like a recovery, and then taking a very long time for it. What's supposed to happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? But for me, it took me to this, this edge that I needed to be on, this edge of uncertainty. It's an edge which is uncomfortable, but I made it comfortable. It's like walking on a knife's edge all the time. But my knife's edge became a place of comfort, which is a really ridiculous thing to think about. So it's kind of getting rid of the blade was the hardest thing. So you were
1: constantly balancing on the edge?
0: Constantly balancing. For a period, a good period in the 90s, a good, good 10 years of, I could do a bottle of vodka, neat, three roll hypnol and an eighth of Coke twice uh. a week, easily. Like, that's that would be me. I would have Harvey Street, I would have roll hypnol on tap and I would need to get to be 25, getting to zero. And I was doing acupuncture, I was doing all of these things to get me to zero, you know. And then years and years of this happened. And and then I, 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 I think one of the turning points, I woke up on my driveway once with a Ferrari engine that turned itself off, but the engine lights were on and the doors open. as an empty bottle of vodka and I'd driven from up north and mm. I just didn't know how I got there.
1: Bloody hell. I yeah. didn't know how I got home. Mm. And
0: I'm the driver. So there was this destruction element but i really wanted to fucking destroy myself i bet but i just didn't have the balls to see it through but the but what did happen was i did so much drugs that i passed out i blacked out and a few times my music kind of saved me (laughs)
1: thrilled to announce that the most comfortable knickers in the world, Stripe and Stare, are supporting feeling yourself. When I want to be comfortable in my own skin and empowered, it always starts with good underwear. We all know the feeling of wearing uncomfortable knickers, pulling them out of your bum every two minutes, not being able to concentrate because of scratchy fabric cutting in. Well, not for bums in Stripe and Stare. And I have an exclusive discount for you if you keep listening. Did you know only 3% of the underwear market is sustainably sourced, which is not a great start for something we wear all the time? Stripe and Stare knickers are not only described by over 90% of their customers as the most comfortable knickers in the world, they are also great for the planet, too as they are sourced from beechwood trees, are softer than cotton and also use 95% less water in their production. You will also be glad to know Stripe and Stare make essential wear and sleepwear too, all from the same soft as a cloud, sustainable fabrics, which I'm adding to my basket next. I have my eye on this lovely tie-dye number. Banish that knicker guilt and shed your underwear shame with Stripe and Stare. And you can get 20% off your next purchase with the code FEELINGYOURSELF. And one last big thank you to the comfiest knickers in the world, Stripe and Stare, for giving me the most comfortable bum and always helping me feel myself. So what you've just like talked about this for me it feels like there was a lot of confusion you felt you felt you were quite effeminate for a boy you and then there was this kind of toxic masculinity you didn't really know where you fitted in the world it was there was so much like to grapple with growing up in care being mixed race it's like where the fuck do you find some grounding and anchoring. How do you find? Well, the
0: Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where. I'll tell you where. When I went to New York the first time, and Brim Fuentes, who visited England, wanted to see how England really was. He didn't want to be just in London at the Shore Theatre. He wanted to see Toxteth. He wanted to see Birmingham. He wanted to see Bristol. And I met him there, and he came to Wolverhampton. This very famous documentary called Bombing. And it changed my life. And I went to New York and I, I felt I found all these graffiti writers that were painting trains and just painting their names. And the penny drops, they weren't talking about give us free speech, uh, let me be free, I want to be. They just wanted to paint their names because their names is all they had. And they weren't even their real names, they were just their nicknames because they wanted to become these alter ego characters. Mm-hmm. But each one of those people that I'd met, from T Kid to, to Lee, to, to, to Brim, to Byron. They all had these fucked up fucking parents, man. Mm. Beyond any parenting in England, beyond that. You know, their fathers were pimps and they were on Angel Dust and their mothers were on crack. And I'm like, I really dodged the bullet here. So I'm <laughs> talking about metropolis, going to New York, you know, I'm coming from Wolverhampton in nineteen eighty-four, where the Stanton's cake shops and little and Littlewoods and CNA, and I'm going to the Bronx which has just smoldered and been burnt out by insurance claimers and it's ashes. And there are people stealing electricity and having block parties and there are people selling drugs in high rises and it's crack and it's crazy and you will get robbed. There's There's such a danger element of being in that environment, but there's also this thing that you see, which all the guys slinging and hustling are on the corner and all the guys that are on the effeminate side of that are breakdancing and painting.
1: Right. And
0: they've already, their, dads have come out of ga- their dads have come out of gangs. All of these these, these people, they're in gangs. So you've got people that, you, that I knew that were graffiti writers that had bodies on them, but they found this thing in the arm, which kind of, as fucked up as they were, it saved them. And, and so jo- joining, you know, my crew, which is Tad's crew, which is from the Bronx, Brim and Bile and Nicer and Tiki, which I'm still with today, have now become these profound graffiti writers that paint for the city, acknowledged by the mayor, you know, it doesn't come without the trials and tribulations. And what has this got to do with what I'm saying? What it's got to do with is that I found the arts. I found something. I found something that would mother me, that would take the place of my mother, which was the art. And I realized that That in modern society, we haven't really seen the effects of what mental illness is going to do post-pandemic, locking people away, taking away their arts. At least I had an escape. Yeah. I feel very sorry for this generation that don't have that. They don't have a club to go to on a regular basis, which is really the significance of that. Culture isn't born in festivals. It's born in clubs, a place where you can go and learn how to be tribal With another person
1: It's connection isn't it It's all about connection But listen I wanted to talk to you Oh god there's so much I want to talk to you about Because there's so so many things You have <sighs> touched on But you haven't gone into So you know that in my book I talk mm-hmm. a lot about sexuality I talk about it being quite fluid you have briefly touched on sexuality but i want to i want you to go into sexuality a bit mm. more in depth just tell me about sexuality for you
0: well i don't know for me for me you know the, the thing about being abused as a kid and then get, you know also you just thrown into this into this limelight and you have all these drugs sex just becomes sex Is that by men
1: try- and women
0: yes by men and women um, but it was more of an abusive uh, as a kid you know, I was, I was, I was never penetrated. I was just, you know, phallicial. You know, innumerable men. Yeah. You know, taken by adults. Yeah. Um, which was a horrible thing. Awful. Um, but then also the idea of imagine that you've betrayed by. Mother, you felt betrayed by your mother, not knowing your circumstances, and then you're thrown into care and then abused by men. I mean, that is not a comfortable place, because then it just becomes this thing where who
1: do you trust?
0: Who do you trust? So for me, it was like I'm going to trust no one. I'm just going to fuck, and I'm going to do loads of drugs, and I'm just going to—it's going to be that, and it becomes just sex. There becomes no intimacy that comes out of it. Yeah. So the only intimacy becomes the art, and and it's where the music comes out. And it's really weird because I can listen to my compositions and I can see all of my childhood stuff coming up through it and all of the rage and all of the beauty. You know, meeting someone that you trust, you know, it took a long time and Mika was very late for me. But my sexuality was very late. Because I was I was virgin, I was a really late bloomer because the abuse had put me into this this, this tortoise. I was I wouldn't want to put my head out. Yeah. So, so, even masturbation was a thing. It's like, it was just, you know, it was, even masturbation seemed very, very dirty. It seemed like it's, it's some it's abuse. It's, 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 I'm doing it to so myself. And of course, with the drugs, you then, it's, it becomes another perpetual thing because you end up in, into, into porn and all yes. these other things. It becomes crazy. And then you kind of have to unlearn all of this stuff. And, and that's been a real, excuse the word pleasure in my later life. Yeah. Um with my relationship. Um but then it's all about the honesty on the table and how you really feel and what turns you on and what doesn't turn you on. And I I guess without too much detail, yoga allowed me to feel like I'm feeling it and my mind's in line with the way that I'm ejaculating or my mind's in line with the way that my woman's ejaculating at the same time. Woo! At the same time, <laughs> as opposed to being something where, well, you finished. Well, I'm done. Are you ready to go again? All right, cool. Sit up. And, and that's important. And, and I think that my sexuality is just where I need it to be. Um, but exploring my sexuality, you know, and this is the thing. I would explore that sexuality when I was free reign everywhere, because as a child I was, I was, it was, it was only abusive.
1: It was imposed.
0: I was so embarrassed about it From my later.
1: so, to me, when when you're talking, it feels like you've almost have had two separate lives. Do you feel like there was an old you and a new you, and where was the turning point? Do you think, if if that is the case? There's, there's,
0: there are no. Uh, <laughs> Without sounding too – there are always turning points on a wheel depending where your jump-off point is. Suddenly when life goes past you, you realize, oh, my God, there are waypoints in life. There are key waypoints to change yes. yeah. that I can actually map out. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the waypoints, for, for example, was this set of poetry in the back of the first book, In Nine Lives. The book was meh. It was about your ego. <laughs> but in the back of the book are these 18 affirmations and one of them is sitting, sitting opposite this chair named pain which is a version of me which is just pain which I like to see because it's just pain and I'm I'm trying to tell pain that he has no longer no longer or she has or they have the energy of pain has no longer any purpose in my life because it's becoming debilitating. It's tiring because it's coursing through my veins over and over again. And I had a bender for about four or five days and I woke up and next to the bed was a record mailer with really lovely handwriting. My handwriting, I do got to say my handwriting is lovely. (laughs) <laughs> I write in capitals, always have done as a graffiti yes, writer. I always write I in capitals. That. But it's almost like a script, it's, it's a script, right? And, and I thought it was a D.E. John from some bird that had left. And it wasn't, it was actually a really unbelievable piece of poetry that I can't remember writing, which I turned into a song and I remember the first part he says would you lie to me lately truth would you die for me maybe truth for beast is the colour of my mood tomorrow for you to know the sorrow hides in sculpture Ooh. and I thought what the fuck visited you do overnight son and Bowie when he saw it he picked it up because it was faxing back then you rewind to the studio in St Anne's Court where David had recorded Space Oddity in 77 his picture was always in the hallway by some serendipitous reason, I'd bought this studio with Rob Playford, and it was in St. Anne's Court, between Wardour Street and Dean Street. Serendipity strikes again in my life. And I'd gone to this studio to see Mel Gaynor, who was a drummer who had the studio, to buy the studio from him, because he was having a divorce. And we got the studio, we moved in there, and I'm, you know, fate would have it that Bowie had sent me a message saying he loved my album Wow. and Woody, would he? would be like we should get together and of course i i said i want to write this piece for you i want to write a song for the great man so i would wrote this piece and i fax it to him we then met up for coffee or tea wherever it was and he, he said to me i said look at this this is a lovely song and he said he showed me the line he said where did you get this, this line from tomorrow it's a great line Tomorrow for you to know this and sculpture." And he said, "Did you know?" Because <laughs> he does. Da Vinci said this is what Barry tells me. Da Vinci always said, "If you blow the dust off the sculpture of the marble, the sculpture is already there inside. It's just for the artist to reveal it." And that was so profound for me, because it meant that if you're seeking the truth inside something, you've just got to persevere with it, and it will come. So that's kind of what I, I've, I've kind of, that turning point we're talking about was the kind of child saying, just make the music, do the art, you're sick of this shit. So the boy, you know, I then went to do the Hoffman, I then started recovery.
1: What other therapy have you had? You've, you've talked about the Hoffman I've done. I've
0: done, the second thing, well, one of the, one of the other things that I feel was important was TM, Transcendental Meditation. It gets me to a place of calm. People think meditation is about, oh my God, it's just so black and there's nothing there. Oh no, there's stuff there and it keeps coming at you. You've got to just be able to repeat your mantra. You can't say what it is. You go to a person, they come to you and they tell you this mantra and it's yours. My wife doesn't know my, my mantra. No one knows my mantra, only I know, only me and the boy. And I repeat the mantra until it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. It gets longer, it gets shorter, it gets faster, it gets slower. And I repeat the mantra until I get into a state of where I go away from it and it comes back. And when you know it's gone away, you bring it back. Meditation is about knowing that you will think of something else. Things will come, which is cool. So I found TM very interesting. And then for me, Chi, Tai Chi, which is taught to Mm -hmm. me by my daughter's, Coco's uh, school teacher, is from Boston. And um, I did Tai Chi yesterday, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I like my Tai Chi. My yoga is the most constant stream. Okay. It's 13 years deep. Wow. It'll be 14 years next May. I've just had my anniversary. And it's constant, you know it's 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 three to five times a week depending on a tour you know i i i, I my, my yoga is constant man it's a it's a constant healer because again we busy ourselves with the physicality to clear the mind and to get to a state of breathing um and it's not everyone's cup of tea people go oh hot yoga oh that big stuff oh and it's hot you know 42 44 some studios i've grown up in clubs. I like heat. The heat is intolerable. Intolerable. The first three yoga lessons in Soho, uh, which is called Soho Yoga, I walked out of. I effed and blinded. Fuck this shit, man. Fucking bollocks, man. Fucking shit. <laughs> fucking shit bollocks. You know what I mean? Fucking shit anyway, man. Do you know what I mean? It's fuck. And then I came back a week later and I did the same thing. I just fucking went, <sighs> fuck, man. Walked out of the changing rooms, got my shit together. But then the third time, you know, I'm Paul Dobson, wonderful, wonderful Jamaican human being, originally from Leicester, really close family friend now, and my guru. I thought I was saying that sounds really cool. (laughs) Um, Paul said to me, he pulled me aside, and he went. Goldie, um you really I can see you really try and I see you just completely like kind of you know, obviously went out of the room, but you want to say anything 'cause you you know, you're a newbie as we say, and you cracking it and then you kind of just sit down. you can't take it, yeah. but do me a favor, leave your ego at the door. It'll still be there when you come out. Just leave it at the door and it'll be there. I love that. that's you know and I thought and, I, and and I and, and my ego was in a rather large suitcase, so it couldn't even get in the fucking door. I had to take it in sideways, um, and I love that mantra because it will still be there, and now it's just a little bit smaller. But, and it's yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a nice, it's a nice it's 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 like a merc for me now. It's like a funny merce, my ego, um, my man bag.
1: Um, so listen, just one of the last kind of big questions I want to ask is one of the themes that has come out of this chat is the kind of the mother role. And obviously you've got abandonment issues, but you've, you're now married and there's a lot, yes. like there's, there's lots of kind of that role of mother has kind of weaved its way through our conversation my last question is how what is your relationship with the mother figure now or the mother role now what's
0: right okay this is brilliant this is really good natalie um you you natalie you're talking about my relationship with mother now it's not being mothered by my muse, which is my wife it's seeing my wife Interacts with my daughter in wedlock, yeah. and seeing how beautiful it is for a life that I would always lament for, but I can vicariously through her, my daughter, she can have all of those things that I'd ever had. Yeah, I can see the mother shining brightly within my arts. So I can see the idea of me not destroying, but giving birth to ideas better by allowing the effeminate. To not uncouple itself from the trauma Wow So, so within that so side of things The mother carries me rather well To where I'm supposed to be
1: Ta-da Oof. Wow. What, what we a you, that, ending. wasn't ending No, no, not at all <laughs> Now listen, just to round up Just tell me what you brought to, That makes you feel yourself
0: This is a um, uh, Goro Um, I have several goros it was a native Japanese guy he's no longer with us his daughter took over there's only one place you can buy them in Japan Um, and to buy one you have to kind of be in a queue and you have to be invited to go to the place to buy them it's called a goro g-o-r-o and they really protect me these goros Um, um, and they're very special to me because they represent freedom of flight because a feather and i am allowed to have wings i'm allowed to fly mm, that's um, beautiful and and my other thing which is just here yeah um which, which is over here oh! <laughs> which i i took off to i cleaned all of my jewelry last night is my wedding ring
1: Aww. which
0: i made myself i i made I, love, I carved it in wax myself
1: i love that and, that's um, beautiful dented it has beautiful.
0: a wonderful yeah i shaped it you know, to create all of the kind of trials and tribulations of our lives and where i've been and it has a wonderful inscription that i, know I want to talk about on the inside and it's me and my wife have them and i, I made them myself from wax and i created them so that's, that's the alchemist that he's best making making pieces of jewelry something that i really making i really love um and that's okay. that. So, Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Now, just a quick, just three quick-fire questions. Who is your most embarrassing celebrity crush? Just to lighten up the the mood.
0: Oh God! Do I guess it one? would be doing a celebrity crush. I've oh. done them all love, over the years. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, right. all
1: right, that's fine. We'll move <laughs> I'm on. All right.
0: I'm like all of that. Long went out the window like a long time ago. I've done. I've done them all. <laughs> that's it. Next.
1: One. What is uh, your one turn off and one turn on?
0: Oh God! One turn off. Oh yeah. I mean, turn off is speaking to someone face to face you've not seen for a while, and they visibly have a blackhead on their nose. I really want to squeeze. And why can't you see it yourself in the mirror? Just. I just want to. Just. And I just have to get rid of them. I'm like, oh, thank God you know but that's really a real a real turn off
1: okay um, what's a turn off it's a
0: real turn off a turn on oh, I think I've been my missy he has got me he has got me his legs man Ooh. it's the pins on her she puts a dress on we go out the pins on it mate it's a pair of heels and <laughs> <with> then pins
1: <laughs> oh
0: inside leg that little it just dips in and it comes back out and it's like oh I love Ooh. that
1: I love 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 that listen thank you yeah. so much for your time Goldie it has been amazing to talk to you that was just uh, unbelievable honestly and hopefully our listeners know well <laughs> know, you <laughs> no they know a lot more about you now and so do I and I think it just helps us to understand you better so thank you so much for that peace and love and enjoy the rest of your day <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Feeling Yourself. I really hope that by sharing my story and those of my guests, we can further the conversation around shedding shame and start to prioritise our pleasure collectively. I have loved hearing everyone's responses to my book. Oh my God, it was so difficult to write, but ultimately, very, very healing. And hearing all of your amazing feedback has just made it even more worthwhile. And Stripe and Stare have also kindly offered to give away a box of four of the most incredible knickers to one of our listeners each week. All you need to do is tag me on Instagram at Style Sunday with your copy of my book. And I'll pick one of you at random each week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It really helps others to find us and could help someone else on their journey to shed their shame too. I'll see you next time. Until then, I hope you all enjoy feeling yourself.